Uh, where where is this place with the water jets and stuff? Where do you work? Uh, it's down at Ninth and Paseo. It's called Zayner. And you, it's uh, like architectural or arch- ornamental or everything. Architectural sheet metal. Okay. Are you recording? Yep. Oh, okay. <laughs> How long you been there? Um, I just got my ten year. They gave me a ten year medallion, which is pretty cool. I I was there eight and a half years, and then I got laid off, and then I bounced around a little bit and came back and left and came back. This is stuff we do. We did that. Oh, that's cool. Where's that? Uh, that's in Arizona. I don't really know where half these places are. We did Tron in uh, Disney World. Okay. Very cool. So there's a whole bunch of really cool stuff we did all over the world. I mean, yeah. We've done stuff in Canada and overseas, Dubai. Oh, wow. China or Japan or somewhere like that. I don't know. It's been a long time ago that we did it. But all over the world. So it's pretty cool. We do some really neat stuff. It's not like just... Not like hanging duck work. People, you say you're a sheet yeah. metal worker and people just automatically think it's duck work. But every, yeah. everything we do is visible. We did the Performing Arts Center downtown. Yeah, the big, uh, looks like a clamshell yeah. type thing. Okay. We did that. And uh, we did like the Star Building. Yeah. The Copper. Very cool. Barter Hall, the expansion on Barter Hall, that perforated metal. Yeah. This looks like it's waving. Uh, like a ribbon. The KC Star Building, I worked for an insulation company mm-hmm. when that was being built. So... Yeah. I was in there before all the glass was in. Right. We used to, I used to go in there all the time and yeah. and work for that installation company. Cool. So, yeah, I know that building pretty well, too. Right on. Uh, so, we've been recording. Everybody, welcome back to the Almost Home Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Stonequist. And joining me today is my friend, Rick Bellinger. Uh, is it Bellinger? Bellinger? Bellinger. Okay, that's what I thought. So... Rick uh, comes with, I know him through Bible study. He wrote in today from up north of KC, so quite the trip. We appreciate you coming. Yeah. Um, going to start you off with three questions like we always do. Question number one, if you could compete in any Olympic sport, what sport would it be? Hmm. If I had the ability? Yeah, it's n- not your current the, ability. Not my Just, current yep. <laughs> Uh, probably wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, I wrestled in high school. I enjoyed it. A lot of life lessons in that. Yeah. And I know you were big into wrestling. For sure. Yeah. I was I was fun. trying to think today if it would be wrestling or if it would be trap shooting. Right. That, that would be another fun one, too. Probably be fun, but... And when I asked Jen, she said it'd have to be curling. <laughs> <laughs> curling? Yeah. That looks pretty interesting. Uh, question number two: mm-hmm. If you could live in any era anywhere in the world, what era and where at? Wow. Hmm. I would say probably the wild, wild west. Yeah. Right in middle of the country. Dodge City. Dodge City. Hang out with Wyatt Earp and yeah. That would be that would be a lot of fun, that would but be man, a lot of fun, but it would be rough. Rough. And then question number three, your favorite uh, Bible verse. Man, I was thinking about this on the way out. And, uh, man, it's been uh, Proverbs uh, 
five or three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will direct your paths. But I also like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which is uh, man. <laughs> you you'd be surprised how often that happens. Someone says, "Oh, it's my favorite Bible verse," and then I don't they know get if it's on. my favorite, but it really speaks to my life because it uh, he's going to give you a, a hope and a future. Uh, oh man! What is that? What is twenty nine eleven? Twenty nine eleven. All right, almost there. For I know the plans I I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Yes. That's solid. That's then, really good. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, I think it's First Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, and it says, uh, there we go again. <laughs> Pray without ceasing. Give thanks for everything. Drawing blanks. <laughs> I had this in my head when I was riding. It's easy to do when you're when you're riding. It's in in your helmet, and then you get out here and get on a, get on a mic, and it goes away. It happens to more uh, happens to more of our guests than it than All right, it doesn't. Here we go. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, and everything. Give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so I think that is so important, and I but it, I think it's also so hard, for sure. You know what I mean? Because it's just like rejoice always. Boy, do you know how hard it is to rejoice always? Yeah. But think about it, if I could or I did, how much how much would that change your life and everybody's life around you? And pray without ceasing. I can pray a lot, but I I can't pray without ceasing. Right. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like a goal. Like, man, if I could do that, if I could do those two things and everything, give thanks. And I can give thanks for everything, but I don't do it consistently. You know what I mean? And I just think right there, it says it's God's will for you. So if it's God's will, then I, that I got to do my work. He's doing his work. I got to do my work. Yeah. You know? And so those are things that, that maybe goals. And so I really like that. We all have, uh, a certain level of ego or pride in ourselves. And so it's, it's hard to give the credit where it's due right. sometimes. So yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Rick, uh, start off wherever you want from the time you were in diapers or the time um, you were in a car or whatever. Yeah. All right. We'll go back to the beginning. Um, my mom and dad got divorced when I was like two. And so I don't, I don't really have any memories of my dad doing anything or being around. But, uh, my grandparents helped my mom out a lot after the divorce. And so we lived in a house in KCK and, um, I think as I, I was growing, I think I always wanted my dad to show up for something. You know what I mean? So I started playing football. I played soccer. I was really good at soccer. I should I should have never quit playing soccer. I, I think I probably could have gone to college with that. Probably not professional, but I was pretty good at it. Could have been your Olympic sport. Could have been my Olympic sport. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I thought maybe if I played soccer, 
Or if I was good enough, he'd come watch me. Or if I played baseball, I played baseball. If I was good enough, he'd come see my games. If I played football, he'd come see me. If I wrestled, he'd come see me. And uh, he just never never showed up. You know, when I think that always left me feeling like, what's wrong with me? Why am I unlovable? And then I think, I think as a kid, you know, everybody talks about your heavenly father and it's just like, well, I don't even know my earthly father. How can I know my heavenly father? If my father on earth don't love me, how can this father that I can't see love me? And oh. so I think as I grew up, um, that was a struggle. And I think, um, we started going to Catholic school. I went to uh, public school for a couple of years. I think I started in Catholic school in second grade. And, uh, you know, just like everybody, I was listening to that podcast and you guys were talking about, you thought, Vernon thought he was going to be a priest. Yeah. And, uh, and we all like, I mean, even my wife's that way. It's like you grow up and I never wanted to be a priest, but I did have like the whole mass memorized. Like you could sit there, you're just kneeling, standing, sitting, kneeling, standing, sitting, whatever. And you just have it all memorized because you've done it. We did it every day in grade school, you know? And so you just figure it out, but I never... I never wanted to be a priest, but I did have it all memorized. And, uh, and I think that, that relationship, even though it wasn't very good with, with God and everything, I still kind of knew right from wrong, but it still didn't stop me. I was always in trouble in grade school. I was always fighting. I was always doing something. You know, I'd steal stuff from 7-Eleven. I just always was doing something I wasn't supposed to do. Where'd you grow up? In Kansas City? Kansas City, Kansas. Okay. And so, uh, Wyandotte County, the yep. dot. The dot, yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, I was just always in trouble. And uh, I got kicked out of school one year, and I actually had to go live with my dad for one year because my mom went to Oklahoma for training for her job. And so we went and lived with my dad. And um, that was just kind of... Like you think you get closer with them or you think you develop a relationship and it just never developed, you know, and, uh, how old were you at that time? Uh, that was fourth grade. Okay. So we lived with him in, when I was in fourth grade and then I come back in fifth grade and I got kicked out of fifth grade and I had to change schools and, uh, which I play, I still played football for the one school, but I went to the other school and we ended up beating him in football. <laughs> So my life was rough a little bit. Therefore, you know, I mean, it's fifth grade, so it's not like that's that big a deal. But and anyways, it was kind of, I just had issues with them guys all the time. So I was always in trouble there. When I, then I went back to my regular school the next year and still in trouble. I don't even know how I passed grade school. I mean, my grades were terrible. I was always just into something, fighting or just not listening or being rebellious. And anyway, so, uh, Going to high school, nothing nothing changes. I probably didn't fight so much in high school. But uh, high school was a sh- struggle for me because I went to Catholic high school, which I always felt like the poorest kid at the rich school, you know. And uh, uh, like one year for wrestling, my mom couldn't take me to get a physical to wrestle. Well, the coach talked to one of the kids, and his dad was a physician, and so he did my physical Okay. You know, and so, and and that kid never looked down on me or told anybody, and I appreciate that. You know, it's like you always, you already feel like you're not good enough. And so I think that's my whole life. I never felt good enough. 
you know, from my dad leaving to just everything in high school and just, um, I just never felt good enough. And, uh, so my uncle opened a restaurant the week before I turned 10. And so my mom worked there and then we'd go with her on weekends and, uh, then during summer we'd go there every day and just work and do whatever. And he paid us like five bucks a day. And so, uh, but at a young age, I'm hanging around with 16, 18, 20 year olds. Everybody's drinking, everybody's smoking weed. Everybody's, you know, having a good time. Well, so by the time I'm 13, 14, 15, I got these guys, uh, I get out of high school, they come pick me up, take me to work, we go work, you know, smoking weed, drinking, smoking weed, drinking, come home, go to bed, get up, go to school. And so, you know, sometime in my junior year, I think I started doing cocaine. You know, not a whole lot, but enough. I mean, enough for, you know, 16 year old. And, uh, you know, so I'd go to school and I'd sleep during school. I don't even know how I passed high school. I think they just really want to get rid of me, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, man, I, I had no plan. I had no clue. I had no idea. You know what I mean? I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I didn't know where my life was going. I was just kind of floating along. And, uh, so then I graduated high school and I just drank a lot and partied a lot, drank a lot, partied a lot. Well, somewhere in the middle of that, I decided I wanted to try to join the military because I think I had a buddy from high school that joined. And uh, I couldn't pass the eye test. They said my eyes twitched when I stared, so I couldn't get in. But I'm pretty sure the night before I went out and got obliviated, and, <laughs> and my eyes were probably still wiggle wobbling from the drinking. But uh, And so... Uh, yeah, so I got out of the restaurant business and I went to, uh, oh, I got out of high school, I went to California. Went to California, had a cousin out there. We went out there, we smoked so much weed, we went to Hawaii for a while. And, and so just everything that I did was all involved in drugs and alcohol, drugs and alcohol, drugs and alcohol. And then I came back and um, I figured out women by then. Well, I really figured out women with the drugs and alcohol, it's just like partying, sex and drugs and alcohol and rock and roll and living the dream. But it's eventually you, you kind of got to come out of that. And, uh, it took me a long time, but I was going to get married. I, I met this chick. I knew her from high school as my sister, my sister's friend from high school. And so, um, we started dating and she got pregnant and we had a kid and we we're getting ready to get married. And she's like, Hey, the kid ain't yours. Da, 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 da. Bam. You know? And then, uh, then I end up working at a, this factory made paper plates and lunch bags and, uh, you know, same thing, drink a party, drink a party, drink a party, mess with all the girls, you know, and I met a girl there and we end up, we did get married and, um, we had a child and that's my oldest daughter. And uh, then I went to work for a dad. We did uh, mill rights, okay. traveling the country, installing conveyor systems. Well, that just, you know, go to work all day, go eat dinner, drink a bunch of drinks, go home, sleep it off, go to work, you know. And so it just everything I did from 16 on till some point in my life, uh, was always drinking, always drinking. And, uh, 
I think at that point the drugs kind of chilled out because the guys I was with really wasn't doing drugs. But um, drank a lot. So I come home and my wife decided she wanted to go on the road with me. So we sold everything, packed everything in the truck. And so we're traveling and it was one of the guy's birthdays. And I stayed out all night. All night I come home like in time to go to work. She's crying and just like she can't. She's getting hold of the guys I was with. They're like, I don't know, we left. He left, you know, whatever time. Da, 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 da. And uh, and that was kind of the beginning of the end, I think. I think she left the next day and took my daughter in my truck and went home. And so I had to move in with her dad. And it was all right. He was good. I mean, we get along really great. We still get along to this day. Um, and that was her dad? That was her dad. And so uh, the drinking just continued. You know what I mean? And then somewhere along the line, she said, hey, I, I want you to get off the road and come back to Kansas City. And so I come back to Kansas City and we're trying to work things out. I started uh, siding houses with this guy and I was making really good money, but I couldn't stop drinking. I couldn't stop drinking and drugging and all that. And uh, uh, somewhere along the line, so she just got tired of it, you know, and uh, I think I think there was a lot more drugging going on at that point. I, I think I started selling meth by then, you know, because I was using meth and I was selling and trying to keep up and and uh, not have to pay for it and make some money and just hustling. And it's just kind of like everybody I knew was doing it. Everybody was involved in it. And I'm just like, why not make some money at it? And so eventually she left. And then uh, my life just spiraled out of control then I mean you think it was bad but then it got worse you know I started uh, manufacturing meth and so I was making meth and being crazy and and I got a Harley and chasing women and drugs and alcohol and all that and then uh, um, life was crazy and I mean like I remember one time I had like my whole lab in the trunk of my car and I had guns and pot and just enough crap that I'd probably got a bunch of time in prison. I ran the stop sign. This cop gets behind me. And so he pulls me over and I'm thinking just for a split second, I'm, I got a gun under my seat. I'm thinking I'm going to shoot this dude. And I'm gone. Well, I parked in front of this house and this chick that I know comes out. She starts yelling at me. I told you do, 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 do. Starts yelling at me. And the cop's just like, What's going on? I was like, well, you know, and she's yelling at me and he's like, well, it seems like you got enough problems. I'm going to let you, I'm going to leave you alone. Don't be running stop signs. And that was my second ex-wife. Wow. (laughs) And so after that, me and her started hanging out, whatever. And, you know, we're, we end up in my house and I'm making meth and people's coming in and out like at 7-Eleven and it's completely crazy. And, uh... One day the cops show up and uh, they knock on the door and I'm not letting them in, but they're not leaving. And I, I can look out my upstairs window and there are cop cars everywhere. And uh, so eventually I let them in because I don't want them kicking in the door, but I should have just let them kick in the door. It would probably been better off. But So I get arrested. They take me to jail for three days and, and they release me pending investigation. They want to do tests on everything and... And so they let me out and I'm running wild and 
we ended up at her mom's house sleeping in the basement. And then, like, she came into my life and we stayed away from her people. Well, then I came into her life and, like, everybody she knew was in gangs. And so there's a lot of gang activity. And I'm selling dope to people. I sell dope to these two guys. And one of them comes back. He's like, hey, man, it was just... Blah, blah, blah. And they went to this guy's house. Cause they wanted to fight and the dude shot the other guy through the door. So I mean, I just got high with this guy and he just left. And then 30 minutes later, the guy comes back and was like, he's dead. I mean, just like people Whoa. dying all the time. I mean, it just got crazy. And it's like, you think it's crazy and you think it's bad. Then you hit another level and you're just, what the hell? So eventually we rent a house and we get away from some of that, but I mean, I'm still doing the same thing. It's like, you're still doing the same thing. You still got the same people. You're just in a different place. And, uh, that relationship was completely insane. We, uh, they talk about fasting for the devil. Like I've heard, I've read books about different things. And it's like when you're doing drugs and you're not eating, you're fasting and you're fasting for the devil. Basically, I don't know if it's true, but in my experience, like she could say something and that's not what I heard. So then we're arguing. She's like, no, I said this. I'm like, no, you said this. And she's like, no, you said that. No, you said that. And it just like, it was crazy. I don't even know how to explain it other than we're hearing voices or we're high or we're not high or something. It became violent and it became ugly and it became bad. And at one point, I don't even think, um, I don't think we'd even got violent that day. I mean, I think we're yelling and screaming and the cops showed up and I'm like, yeah, I hit her. Just take me to jail. I don't even care. Just take me. I just got to get away from her. And so they took me to jail on a domestic, which I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure that it didn't escalate to that point that day. And uh, so they took me to jail and they let me out. And then um, I go to court for the domestic and the other charge comes up, the manufacturing charge. So I go on a domestic figure, I'm leaving. They hold me on the manufacturing charge. So, uh, had they been looking for you during this time? Do you I don't think? think they said the Lord that I had said that when I got the domestic, it popped up a red flag. Like if I'd have stayed out of trouble for two years, they probably would have just let it go. But it was like a year and nine months. Wow. It's probably a good thing probably a blessing because I mean at the rate we were going it was it could have seriously got worse you know what I mean I could have been doing time on a murder you know what I mean because it's like the violence got worse and just everything going on around us got worse and just the insanity of the whole everything I mean I was driving stolen vehicles and just I mean just everything everything you could imagine doing I, I was doing to just continue this drug escapade or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, and at one point I had, I was working doing siding. Was that before or after? I think that was when I got out. Okay. We'll keep going. So anyways, I go to jail on the manufacturing charge. I go to prison. I do like two and a half, three years. And, uh, you know, I went to treatment and, uh, so my brain says, well, as long as I don't do meth, I'm going to be okay. You know what I mean? And so my wife come and got me and then we come in town. I met my, oh, I had a, <laughs> I 
I had a son in there too. I wasn't married to his mom or nothing. And, uh, um, I'm not even sure I was divorced when his mom got pregnant. Like we were separated and whatever. And I was just kind of moving on. And I think I got her pregnant and then, uh, um, you know, it just kind of went. And then, uh, um, so I ended up in prison and, um, I have a son and daughter. Well, his mom started bringing, my son's mom brought him to prison so I could really meet him. I mean, I knew who he was, but we didn't really have a relationship. So I really met my son in prison. Like, hey, this is your dad. And uh, how old was he? Four. Oh. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, my life was so out of control and I never could figure out why. You know what I mean? And then I went to treatment and I figured out, you know, my thought was as long as I don't do drugs. I'll be okay. So I get out and the first night out, we go to a Mexican food restaurant. I'm drinking margaritas thinking it's going to be all good. So while I was in prison, I went to uh, work release and uh, I had a really good job and I worked like uh, the first hundred days I was there, I worked. And so I was stacking paper I and mean, I was saving like, I don't know, I got out of prison for like $11,000. So I bought a truck and got clothes and did stuff. And, but, um, what year would this have been? This would have to be 2000. Okay. Around 2000. I got out, I think, November of 2000. So I got out. I got back into siding. I, I got with another. I went back to the place I was working before. Well, then me and him had a beef, and him and this other guy had a beef. So we just took off and started doing our own siding. So I basically have a business partner, and we're doing the siding gig. And... I bought another Harley and just like, I mean, I was back on, everything was good. And, uh, you know, I was still drinking. And then eventually, I think it was the, the next December around Christmas, me and my wife was like, oh, you know, we've been doing good, let's do one, you know. Back at it, did some meth and then, uh, you know, six months later, I did some more. Then a month later, I did some more. Then a week more, week, you know, and then just every day. And then it was every day, all day. And I remember the last day I showed up for work, uh, basically my own company. I mean, uh, we were partners and I showed up at like one o'clock in the afternoon and I show up for work and they're like, man, it's we're, we got a window. We're leaving. They're packing up. They're going home. And I show up. I show up just in time to leave. And I'm just like... And I just never went back. I'm just like, how do you even do that? Because, I mean, that's how, you know. And I'm sure by then I was shooting dope. And, and uh, you know, the insanity take, took off again. I, uh, yeah, so I just got insane all over again. I'm doing crazy stuff. I'm running around this guy. He shoots somebody. We take off. And we're going to go to Florida. And uh, we get to Arkansas. And it just got crazy all over again. I hitchhiked back. I left him with the van and I hitchhiked back to Kansas City. And I got my bike and I got a bunch of dope and I was taking it to some people I knew in Arkansas that usually come to Kansas City. And uh, I'm driving down the highway and it's sprinkling and my bike, my bike shocks me and my taillight goes out. I'm just kind of, I'm like, whoa, you know? And uh, I noticed, I don't know how, but I noticed my taillight was out. And uh, so I'm rolling down the road. Of course, this cop pulls me over. 
and I'm sitting there and uh, I got warrants out of Kansas City for a bunch of forgeries. And so I hear this on his radio. And I still got my bike running. He's getting up, walking to the back of the bike and I just hammered it. I got a bunch of dope on me. So I just hammer it. I'm like close to the Arkansas border. So I figure I'm gonna hit Arkansas, take this first street, dip out, hide out, get in the weeds, whatever, get away. Well, I missed the turn. So I was going so fast, I missed the turn. And by then he'd done been on the radio and there's cops lined up. And so I went on this high speed chase through Arkansas for like 20 or 30 minutes, just going, it's raining, it's going, I can't see. I'm ducking behind my windshield looking looking at the yellow line going, I mean, I got this bike pegged, I'm going. And this cop like pulls up behind me. Like I could, I could have probably touched his car. He was that close. And, um, <clears throat> so I'm riding. And the only thing I can think of is God, I don't want to die. Save me. And I, I yelled this out loud. I'm like, God, save me. I don't want to die. And then, uh, the cop car starts backing up. And I'm like, oh, here's my chance. I'm going to throw this dope. And this road curves. And uh, so I'm trying to one-hand around this curve and throw this dope out. And I end up in the in the grass and cops all over me. And uh, they take me to jail in Arkansas. And so uh, I'm in prison in Arkansas. I end up, so I end up in uh, county jail. And uh, the first time I went to court, I'm in the pod and they want me, they want me out of it. You can't be in your cell. You can't sleep. You got to be out in the day room. Man, I ain't slept in a month. And so I go, Hey, I need to take a shower and go get my stuff. So I go in there, go back to sleep. And then, uh, they come by and kick me out. And I did that two or three times. Finally, they took me to the hole. I was like, whatever. And so I slept for, seemed like for weeks and they took me to court and they told me I was probably going to get 40 years. And I was just like, whoa and I'm just like I can't do 40 years and so I was really thinking about checking out but then I was really wanting just to get on some some kind of medication just to stay high just so, so I kind of had a half attempt at suicide and I'm told the guard hey man I just tried to kill myself da, 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 hoping to get on some medication hoping that uh you know, because I've seen a lot of dudes on medication just dropping, just checking out. And was like, I'm just going to check in out. Days, yeah. I just don't even want to, you know. And so uh, they take all my clothes and they put me in this suicide smock is what they call mm -hmm. it. Might even have just been paper. They had green ones and they had like yellow paper ones. were just, you know, you couldn't make a nothing to hang yourself with or nothing... And so they bring me up to this observation cell and this, uh, this cop comes up to me and he brings me a Bible and he's like, you can either read this or you can use it as a pillow. And, uh, so I just started reading the Bible. And so I started reading the Bible and I'm back in the hole. And then, uh, I think it was seg. I think it, then they put me in seg and, uh, I got a celly that couldn't read. And so I just sat there and read the Bible. I just sat there and read the Bible to him for hours. And, uh, and eventually I got out and they put me back in a regular pod and they, and I started doing Bible studies and we started reading, get group of us to get together, read the Bible and talk about it and all that stuff. And they started calling me the pod father. 
<laughs> and then, uh, then I ended up getting baptized in prison. And so, uh, I think it was December 5th, 2003. I got baptized, I believe. 2003. And, uh, and then I ended up in prison. You know, they shipped me off. I got, I ended up with, uh, 16 years with 10 of it suspended and I had to do a quarter of the 10. No, 10 years with six suspended and I had to do a quarter of the 10 in prison. So I had to do two and a half in prison plus whatever I'd already did in county, which is like maybe a year, nine months or a year. And this was, was that just for the Arkansas stuff that or Arkansas? For, and then you still got to an answer for Kent State. Yeah. Okay. So I, so I end up in Arkansas and, uh, that prison system down there, boy, they sent you to hard labor. Really? Yeah. And so, uh, they're like, uh, they put you on host squad. They got a host squad rider. He, he's on a horse with a shotgun and they're like, get, get my grass. And you're like three beats a, a skip is what they call it. One, two, three, step one, two, three, step. And so they just put you out in these fields with a whole group of dudes just cutting grass with hoes. Wow. Yeah. And so it was just like, I mean, they got fields, they got more fields and you're like, how did they have this many fields? I mean, we cut, grass, <laughs> we cut this grass every day. How can you even, you know? And so, uh, a lot of fields and some dudes couldn't handle it and they'd pay a guy a box of cupcakes to whack him with a hoe. So we'd get out of hoe squad. It's just crazy stuff, you know, or they pay guys, well, Hey man, if you can't get your grass, there's dudes that just stay on hoe squad just cause they like it. And so they'll they'll find the wheat guys and be like, hey, you give me a box of cupcakes, I'll get your skip. So they're hitting six to step, six and step instead of three and step, but they're getting they're getting something. Everybody's hustling, everybody's right. getting something out of something. But so in Arkansas, even in county jail, they bring in religious people every day, some denomination or different churches or whatever every day. And so, uh, so one, you want to get out of your pod and two, it was just good. You know what I mean? There was some really on fire preaching going on down there in county jail and in prison. And so in prison, um, they had a thing called the PALS program, which I don't even remember what it stands for, but they said they have, if you go through PALS, people go through PALS come back to prison 80%, 86% less than if you don't go through PALS. Okay. So it just, they say it just improves your chances of staying out of prison. Well, it's a faith-based barracks. And so I got in this faith-based barracks and, um, um, studied the Bible all day long, read the Bible, study the Bible, go through this, talk about this, different classes, different people coming in, preaching, teaching, learning, and just really learning some, uh, man, I can't remember that guy's name. Just fundamental stuff that I never learned. Just like how to be a gentleman and, and some manners and some stuff like that that you just, I miss that part of life. I don't know, dad wasn't there or, or whatever. I don't, I don't know, really know, but I missed a lot. And so we went through, I went through that and, um, um, it was really good. It was really good. I learned a lot about God. I, I developed such a strong relationship with Jesus. It was, uh, 
man, I remember going back to my cell and just feeling the presence of God and just be like, God, if this is what it takes to get me to heaven, just leave me here. I mean, I felt like, I felt like God was just sitting there in, in that room with me, in that cell with me. And, uh, something else I learned in prison, um, God's, you don't God, you don't know God is all you need till God is all you have. And I got to that point to where like, I wasn't getting letters from home. I didn't have no money on my books. Didn't have no, nobody to call nobody, nothing. And all I had was God. And I just remember just being on my cell and just feeling like the most peaceful and most complete human being that I'd ever been in my whole life. And like everything was good. And, uh, and in that, I just wished that I could have stayed in that moment forever. You know what I mean? I mean, that's how close, I mean, mind blowing, mind blowing that I'd be willing to never get out to stay in the presence of God the way I was then. And um, so more time rolls on. So the PALS program ended and I had to go back to regular. So I go to the kitchen barracks and so we're, I'm the egg man, making eggs every day, every morning make eggs. And uh, man, I get in this, I get in a cell with this dude and he's like the uh, head of some Aryan, what Aryan Brotherhood, but it was some Aryan club. I don't know what it was. And, uh, he just come from the federal joint. He was the highest ranking member there. He's the highest ranking member in Arkansas. He's like the shot caller. And I'm just like, oh God, how did I end up here? You know, thinking just cause he's doing things. And then, uh, but the crazy thing was me and this buddy of mine were talking. It's like, even if mess showed up, ain't no way I'd do it. Done. And then like the very next day he comes in with a, I'm just like, Oh my God, how are you, you know, why you got to do this now? You know what I mean? I'm trying to go home and you're jacking with that. And I'm just like, ain't nothing I can do about it. And then like the next, probably the next morning or maybe a couple of days later, Kansas comes and gets me. So I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. So Kansas comes and gets me, takes me back to why not County jail. And, uh, scripture that sticks out of my head is, uh, when your ways are pleasing with the Lord, even your enemies will be at peace with you. And I got back to Kansas City and everybody that I had beef with on the streets, did dirty, beat up, got in fights with, crashed their cars. I mean, I did, I was being crazy. Everybody was in jail. And, uh, but everybody was at peace. I mean, there was dudes that had shots at me that could have took shots at me. We could have, you know, fought right there and nothing happened. You know, I had a guy come up and say, Hey, this other guy told me to beat you up when you come out of the cell, but you seem pretty cool. So I'm not going to do it. I'm just like, I'm just like, God's got me, you know? And so, uh, the charges in Kansas City was, I got caught with a bunch of counterfeit money and they knew I didn't print it. And so it was forgeries. So they gave me like 36 counts of forgery and I went to court on that and ended up back in Arkansas and, uh, <clears throat> Oh, they gave me six months. They gave me six months. So once I finished my time in Arkansas, I had to come back to Kansas and do. So I go back to Arkansas and uh, 
So they they brought you up there just to go through yeah. the court process and then send you back. Because I filled out a hundred eighty day writ, which okay. tells says you got a hundred eighty days to come get me. But it was a lot more than hundred eighty days, so I don't know if it was the time. I tried to file it. I don't know if I got it filed. I had a lawyer working on it, and I felt like he just scammed me out of a bunch of money. And eventually they came and got me, but it was way over 180 days. But the timing was perfect because the things that were going on in Arkansas. So I come back to Arkansas in the kitchen, the captain or somebody that was working in the kitchen, I don't think was the captain, but one of the head workers was bringing in the meth. He got popped. They got popped. Everybody got busted. And I wasn't there for any of it. So they, you were in a cell with this Aryan yeah. AB shot collar. It wasn't Brotherhood, but it was some... Okay, so some sort of Nazi skinhead, yeah. something, that that has drugs, paraphernalia. Yeah. You get taken back to Kansas City out of the presence of that. Yeah. You were working in the kitchen yeah. where all that stuff was. Yeah. Yeah, that's... All on God's timing. Yeah. Your your 180 days was up, but God's time yeah. was like, no, I got a reason for it. Yeah, and so I wasn't there for all that, and they all got busted, and I don't know where they went or what happened to them, but I'm just like, thank God. Because it, if it's in your cell, you're hit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like I can say, oh, it was his. Right. Because, I mean, Even if I'm you pretty sure he <laughs> killed some people in prison. Um, <laughs> I don't have any doubt. And so I'm just like, what are they, I mean, what can I do? You're in a cell, I want to go home, but I don't want to go home in a body bag. Sure. You know? It's like you can't say anything. Well, I don't know nothing about it. Well, you get charged with it anyway. So and, I'm and just thankful. Man, I mean, there, there's nothing you can do. You just got to shut up. And and a guy with those connections, it'll catch oh, up to yeah. you. There's no. And so, um, yeah. So I'm just like, thank, thank God I wasn't there. So I finished up my little bit of time there. I ended up in Kansas City. Back in, and going to prison out of state was really such a blessing because the first time I did time, everybody's there. Everybody from the streets is there. So it's not even like it's, it's like we're just kicking it here. We're just not kicking it there. Right. You know what I mean? And so, and I was at a minimum camp the first time in Kansas City or Kansas. I went to Oswatomie. Oswatomie okay. Correctional Facility. And, uh, and this time was... Time was harder, and it was further away. I didn't have no friends. But I actually did run into a guy that I was cellies with in Kansas prison. I ran into him in county jail. And so it was kind of weird that we'd been cellies there and we were running each other there. So it's just kind of... But, uh, yeah, I didn't know nobody. I, I, the whole time, once I got to prison, I'd never seen one person that I had ever known, which is good. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you're not hanging out with your buddies and talking about what you're going to do when you get out and... It gave me an opportunity to change my life. And then I went back to Kansas and of course everybody's there. And, uh, but I only had six months to do. I just wanted to get it done and get home, you know? And so, uh, I sat out of trouble, just did my little six months, came home, came home on a parole in Arkansas and Kansas and Arkansas. If you violate parole in Arkansas, you get three years and you've violated in Kansas, you get like six months. And so I'm looking at three and a half years on any violation, you know. And so uh, I got out and uh, my daughter had been going to a church 
while I was in prison. And so when I got out of prison, I mean, I went to church every every chance I got in prison, and it was because it was just there was awesome singing, awesome praise and worship, and desperate people, desperate people that are desperate for God and not there to check a box or sure. to uh, there was genuine. It was just so real, and you're in a situation where there's 50 or 100 guys in a room praising God, singing. Nobody out here singing like that. You know what I mean? Just singing and praising God and just, it was pretty incredible. We had some really good God moments in that prison and uh, life-changing. I mean, prison saved my life. That was a life-changer. And uh, I don't want to say it was a good experience, but it was a great experience at the same time. So I got out and... Uh, I stayed with my mom for a little bit. She had got married when I was in prison and she moved across the street with her husband. So she had a vacant house that she was saving for me. And so when I got out, um, man, I didn't have nothing. I had a bag of clothes that I come home from prison with and nothing else. Cause I think I got, no, we got divorced before I went to prison, but we were still together. Like we together apart, together apart, together apart. And so she had all my stuff and I don't even know what happened to her. I mean, I kind of do, but she married a guy that was in county jail <laughs> with me that we had beefed on the street before. And so it was just better left alone. So I didn't have nothing. And so my, my uncle gave me some clothes and, um, my son's mother's husband lent me a vehicle, which is just kind of mind blowing. You know, I mean, I'd known him. We'd all grown up together, kind of, and so I knew who he was, and and so thank God he did that, and this gave me an opportunity to go get work, and so I got to working, and I going to church and going to work, and going to church, and going to work, and I hit the parole office, and uh, every time I go to the parole office, is that my phone? Yeah, that's mine. Yeah. Oh, I turn that off. Uh, so, anyways, every time I hit the parole office, I seen some girl I knew from. Uh, the past and so I started messing with all these girls not all these girls but enough girls and uh, you know I put a list on my wall it's just like things I want in a, in a woman and I put no drugs no alcohol no smoking has to have a car has to have a job has to have her kids has to have ambition because when I got out of prison, I started to get with this girl and she smoked cigarettes. So I, I cannot, and, you know, and I'm just like, man, I ain't smoked in years and years and years. I can't even stand smell of that. You know, I can't have no drugs in my life because I can't go do this time. Plus, if I get caught with something, they're going to give me that time, new on top time of and new time yeah. or and the old time, you know. And plus, it would violate my six years of backup. I mean, so, oh yeah. So I had six years suspended. So if I had caught any kind of charge, any kind of arrest, any kind of anything, the suspended time, I would have got the, the parole time. That's nine and a half. That's nine and a half plus whatever you're if I caught on. a new charge. Yeah. You know what I mean? And something <clears throat> I skipped the, the, uh, when I was in prison, we we're in the host squad barracks and, uh, I got a joint from some guy and we're smoking a joint and this guy that's been, come back to prison on this one charge. He'd been back to prison eight times on one charge. He's like, man, do you know what you're doing? 
He said, if they, if they bust you on a drug test, you're going to do all 10 of those years. They're going to take every bit of good time you got, and you're going to spend all 10 of those years here. And that was the last time I got high. And so I was just like, wow, that's an eye-opener. Yeah, it's you know? a 10-year joint. <laughs> that's a 10-year joint right there. You go from doing two and a half to doing 10 just like that. And it just got to be where I, I can't do it. I can't do that. And I just quit, you know. But then to see him, he's still smoking weed and still doing all the dumb things. And, you know, but it's just like sometimes I'm like, God, God used that dude. To put that on my head, because if he wouldn't have said that, and I kept smoking weed and I got busted, I'd have did that whole ten. And they might have gave me the—I don't know if they'd give me the six on top of that, but I mean, I guess they could have. If I got caught with a joint, that would be a new charge. Yeah. So. So that all come together for me, and so, anyways, that was kind of going back on that. Um, so then I dated a girl, and she drank, and you know, of course, I'm moving them in and moving them out, and. And I came home and she had beer somewhere stashed. I'm like, well, my parole officer shows up and finds beer in this house. I'm done. It's a done deal, you know. And then I met this other chick at the parole office and she wants to smoke weed. I'm like, man, I ain't smoking no weed. You can smoke weed, whatever, but I'm not smoking no weed. And so, I'm, you know, so as I figure these things out, going down this list or keep adding to this list, you know, um, and there was other things on there. But it's just like I could find the most jacked up chick and got nothing going for her, smoking weed, lost her kids, ain't got a car. Man, oh, man, here, that's my girl right there. That's the one I want. <laughs> and I just, you know, and it just takes me to bad places doing bad things. And, and so it's just like I had to start visualizing it and writing it out and saying it and get it into my head that I'm not going to settle for less than I deserve, you know, and um uh, so I started doing narcotics anonymous meetings when I got out, and uh, that's where I met my wife. We were doing uh, hospitals and institutions meetings, and so we would go to hospitals, treatment centers, uh, wherever, and just share the narcotics anonymous message, just that, man, you ain't got to keep living like this, you know, because she'd been through treatment, and I'd been through treatment, and, uh, and uh, so I met her, and I was like, you know, so that's that's really kind of why I got involved in that because I was interested in her and then it gave us a chance to hang out and, and, uh, so eventually I kind of like asked her out or I don't really remember how that happened, but she was going to go out with me and then she's like, man, I can't go out. I can't go have coffee with you. I got a boyfriend. It just wouldn't be right. So, uh, I let that go and then one day I just called her out of the blue. I'm just like, hey, what's going on? How you been? Da, 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 da. And, and uh, she had broke up with that guy and she'd been apart with him for a little while. I don't exactly know how long, but uh, then we started talking and then we started hanging out. I think we started dating November 1st was probably when we started going out and uh, we got engaged uh, December 25th and we got married February 14th wow <laughs> and so uh everybody's like no no you can't that's addict behavior you guys are crazy duh <laughs> you know and I had a sponsor who's like what are you doing he's like man you and her went to a wedding from somebody else in the program went to the wedding and now y'all want to get married what are you thinking you know and I'm just like man this is the one I pray for this girl dude I remember just just praying just like god you 
So we're Narcotics Anonymous. I can't just, her name's on this list for these treatment center things. And it's like, I can't just call her and ask her out on that. That would be kind of like a violation of the rules. It's not what it's there for. And I remember just praying like, God, give me a reason to call her. And this guy calls me. He's like, hey, can you take this meeting to such and such place? And I'm like, hey. (laughs) I call her because she's like, she kind of like running it or I don't remember what. She was, she'd been doing it a while. And so uh, he gave me an opportunity to call her. And that's kind of how everything really took off. And so it was just like, even that, just seeing God work on my life. And that, that was like instantly. Like somebody that's never called you before calls you and gives you the opportunity to call somebody that, you know what I yeah. mean? I just really feel like, and so our first date, uh, I think I went to her church and our second date, she went to my church. And then I think we kind of went a little bit back and forth for a while. Then we got married and then we decided to find our own church. I think we went to my church for a while and I think, uh, I think the longer you're involved in a church, you see, you start seeing more things. And so there were some things going on with the uppers that we felt wasn't really, maybe they, we felt like they weren't being honest with the congregation. I gotcha. And so it just kind of made things uncomfortable. And so we bowed out and uh, we started going to a different church and then, uh, found out she couldn't have babies and then that's you know that situation so a woman she had sponsored previous like years ago my wife had had my wife had had a son and he passed away at two months old from rsv and so she had sponsored this girl and uh my wife has an amazing testimony too and she uh Sponsored this girl. Well, a couple of years later, she's out of the program and she just calls my wife out of the blue and she's like, Hey, I'm pregnant. Da, 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 da. And Michelle's like, what do you want me to do? You want me to pray for you? She's like, no, this baby's for you. I want you to take this baby. And so I was like, what? She calls me at work and she's like, Hey, so, da, 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 da. you know, Hey, she wants us. she's going to have this baby and she wants us to take it. I'm like, well, if you feel good about it, let's do it. We've been trying, we've been trying to have a baby. We've been going to different doctors like in vitro doctors. And they're like, you know, well, there's a better chance you're going to have two than you are have one. Better chance you have multiples than you will one. And I'm just like, man, I ain't, I can't deal with two or three kids, babies, you know. And so, uh, you know, that was kind of an answer prayer. You know, we've been going to church, and they're like, you got to believe to conceive, and not saying all these things, and and it just never worked. And I think it it affected her, yeah, mind because she she wasn't. You know, because she's believing and she's believing and she's believing. And then it's just, just because it doesn't happen the way you think it's going to happen doesn't mean it ain't going to happen. And so then the chick's six months pregnant, you know, so we got three months to get ready for this baby. And so we, uh, we just do everything we need to do, get it done, get a lawyer, get all the paperwork filled out, get everything done that we need to get done. And then she and Michelle would go over there and read to her belly or read to the baby. You know, Michelle would go to her house and read and just hang out with her and talk to her belly and rub her belly and just just uh, be there for her because I, that has to, has to be tough on, you know. Yeah. And uh, But they just had enough kids that they just felt like they were getting older and they couldn't just take care of another kid. They were kind of overwhelmed. And so, uh, you know, she called. My birthday is June 30th. Well, she calls 
on June 30th. And she's like, oh, I think I'm having the baby. So go to the hospital and false labor or whatever it was, but she didn't have the baby. So she goes home and then two days later, we go back to the hospital. She has a baby. And so she's born July 2nd. And uh, we had lawyers come to the hospital, fill out, because there had been something filled out afterwards. And so uh, the hospital, we had planned on having two different rooms. And uh, so one, she could recover, and two, we could have a baby in the other room. And uh, um, it didn't work out. The hospital kind of treated us like we were trying to steal this kid. And it was just kind of awkward. But she's, you know, they made us leave the room. A social worker came in and questioned her a whole bunch. Are you sure you want to do this? You sure, you know, trying to talk her into keeping the baby. And she's like, no, this is the plan. It was the way it's meant to be, you know. And so she stuck to it and, and come on with his baby. And then uh, uh, I, so I got, a real, I, I got a good job when I got out of prison. I kind of had some crap couple crappy jobs but then I got a good job I got the sheet metal union and and it's been really good to me and uh, um so working on the performing arts center oh this is even before man my chronological <laughs> is off and so anyway so uh a friend of hers that she was in treatment with called her and said she's on her way to prison hey can you take my son and be guardians for my son and so we got guardianship of her son and uh, while that's going on, I'm working on the Performing Arts Center downtown, and uh, I fell off that building, and I broke my leg and broke my foot and broke my back. And uh, so my buddy, real good buddy of mine, you probably know him, he's, he's in a club. Me and him worked together, and we used to run around and hang out, and he's sober, and we go to meetings or whatever, and so we're working together, and I fell, and got hurt and uh, so he calls his wife is like hey you need to call Michelle and tell her to get down here Rick fell that's all he tells her and so they don't know if I'm they don't know so yeah Michelle comes down there and uh, uh, finds me throws this kid in the ambulance and bleeding everywhere and I'm like get him out of the ambulance and anyway so I end up <laughs> hospital for five days and and uh uh, ended up in the hospital bed in my house for maybe a couple months while my legs healed and and uh, it just seemed like man all the opportunities I mean I jumped in the truck with a guy pulled a gun on me he said he was going to shoot me I jumped in the truck and fought him and the gun goes off and I mean all these opportunities that I could have been taken out like I almost got shot I was I had the speedometer buried on that bike when I was running from the police and luckily they slowed up. So I slowed up cause I was kind of thinking, well, there's probably something coming up the road turns or something. And I wrecked it's Arkansas. I, the road's going to turn. <laughs> right. And so I wrecked, I didn't die and I ended up in prison and just all these things in my life. And I fall off this building and I'm just like, man, if God wanted to take me out or my time was up, I'd done been, you know, for sure. And just, uh, so anyways, uh, the kid goes back to his mom she gets out of prison early. She goes back. He goes back to his mom. Then we get hope. And then, uh, and Michelle wanted her name for Grace, but I was like, no, I'm, I'm a hope guy. I'm really big on hope. You know, always hoping for the future. Sure. And so when we got her, I was just like, no, that's hope. She gives me hope. That's my hope. 
You know what I mean? And I was just so grateful for that kid. That kid is, she's, she's a lot, but I love that kid, you know? And it's really the first opportunity. I got two other kids that I was high in in prison on that I really didn't get a raise that God's brought back into my life. And uh, my son's been going to church with us, which is super cool. And uh, my daughter got me going to church at the church she was with. And uh, I'm not really sure where she's at right now with her, that her relationship. It seems like she's had some issues. and But like last Sunday, five of my kids were at church. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I haven't even got to that part yet. Right. And so... Uh, People are going, where where five We're all over from? the place. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so Hope's growing up. She's like, Mommy, Daddy, I want a brother or sister. I want a brother or sister. You know? And so that's when we got into the foster care and going to the in vitros and trying to figure out how we could have a kid. And we had people volunteering to carry a baby for her and just all kinds of stuff. And then we just decided to go the foster care route. And so uh, we do all the stuff, uh, filling all those paperwork and sending it in was kind of like nerve wracking. And me and her and Hope sat at the post office and we sat there and we prayed about these papers. And it was just like, God, let your will be done if it's meant for us to have a child. You know, just bless us. Thank you. And mail this stuff off. So uh, I don't remember when that was, but several months later, Michelle calls me. She's like, we got approved for foster care. We can do it. Da, 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 da. And so we're all excited. And that that's that morning. Well, that afternoon I'm working and I'm headed to my car. And this guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, there's detectives at your car. Wait for you. I'm like, bro, I'm good. I I ain't done nothing in years. I'm, it's all good. I don't even, I'll talk to him. I ain't scared. So I go, I go back and talk to them. They're like, well, there was a homicide in 2003 and such and such and da-da-da, and you were with this guy and all this stuff, and they want to call me in. They want me to come in the police station with them. I'm like, I ain't going to the police station because I know that's going to turn out bad. Yeah. Don't go to the police station. So I'm like, hey, man, i got to go pick up my kid. We can meet later, da-da-da-da-da. And so uh, they said, all right, we'll meet us at Clay County Police Department at Six o'clock or whatever, five o'clock, six o'clock, whatever. And so I leave there and I call Michelle. I'm like, hey, these cops just showed up. They're asking me about a homicide. I don't know anything about it. I didn't do it, but for some reason they think I did it. And so I'm freaked out because they, they've repeated enough things that I know that were true, that they, they know all about me and my past and all that. And uh scared me. Cause I'm like, man, I've, I've been good for these years. I ain't been doing nothing I ain't supposed to be doing. I'm clean. I'm working. I got a kid. I got a wife. I'm living a good life. And, uh, so we call this lawyer and he says, what if you don't go to the police station? And these cops are like, well, if you don't come in, we're coming to your house and getting you and we're going to arrest you. So I leave, I leave my phone. I'm like, I leave my phone with my wife and I leave. I'm just like, I'm just not going to be home because the lawyers want me to come in in the next morning. And so, uh, they might've called and my wife said, Hey, we got a lawyer da, 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 da. he's going to get hold of you. So the next morning he set up a meeting and we end up there and they questioned me and all this. And like, I, I have no clue who did it, but I, 
it's a 19 year old murder at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was probably not 19, but now it's like 20 years. It was 2003. And so they start questioning me about me and my buddy that I ended up in Arkansas with. And they're like, well, everybody on the streets is saying you, that you did it. And I'm like, I didn't do it. I never even been in that place, which I hadn't. And, uh, <clears throat> then it's like, Oh, well, well you dropped him off and he ran in and did it, which wasn't true. I'm like, no, that didn't. They're like, well, you picked him up when he was walking down the street after he left there. I'm like, man, if he did it, he never told me he did it. I've never heard of anybody saying they did it. I don't know anything about this. So they keep getting a hold of my lawyer. I keep coming in and they keep questioning me about this, trying to, they're trying to get me to pin it on my buddy. And I'm just like, I don't know nothing. So they give me a lie detector test and I pass the lie detector test. <clears throat> well, they're harassing me. It's freaking Michelle out. I talked to my buddy that's in prison. And I'm like, hey, I don't know what's going on, <clears throat> but they think you did this and they think I had something to do with it. And they want me to talk you in to saying all this on the phone, trying to hem you up. And he's like, man, I didn't do that. Da, 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 da. I'll take a lie detector test. So he works it out with them. He takes a lie detector test so he can get back to back to Lansing so we can see his mom a whole different story anyway so eventually um, they leave me alone because he told him whatever he told him and uh, he's actually in Johnson County going to trial on this right now or getting ready to go on trial anyway so uh, so I got that going on so we'll get through that situation which was absolutely crazy yeah it's nerve wracking just, just sitting like, here just like <laughs> thinking like they could hem you up if they want to. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Just like they're trying to hem him up. He didn't do it. Absolutely. I have a hundred percent. He didn't do that. And, uh, um, cause there's been other people that said anyways, that's a whole nother. <laughs> Somebody said they did it and they ended up dying. They got murdered in KCK. And so it's like, everybody knows who did it, but nobody's saying who did it. Okay. And at this point it's, you know, doesn't really matter um so anyways michelle's not at home one day september 5th of maybe 19 september 5th of 19 she calls me up she's like hey they're on the way with some kids I'm like what <laughs> you know and so uh she calls me and said, it's emergency placement. We're probably just going to have them tonight. And then they're going to place them at home tomorrow. Find permanent placement. So I'm like, okay, two kids, no big deal. So they come in and they bring the kids and we're talking. And then the caseworker's there and then Michelle shows up. And then uh, absolutely darling little girls. And uh, so they stay. Well, the next day they come and they're like, okay, well, we'll bring you this and this and this. And we need you to sign these papers and... So we're the placement. So when they basically they make you sound like they've done it more than once, brought kids and been like, okay, well, you're, this is temporary placement. We'll get them placed. And so we sign the papers on these girls and we just keep them. We're just like, we're not giving these kids back. You know what I mean? And so we, we've had them ever since and just been working on getting them adopted. And then uh, since September of 2019. So you just, September just went four years, just went four years. And so then their older sister went into care about the same time. She went to their aunts, to her aunts. And uh, the dad wasn't supposed to have any contact with her. 
the caseworker's there as she's pulling up, the dad's pulling out of the driveway. Or she was there and he pulled in, saw it was her and pulled out, something like that. So they emergency removal. And so we had done, she'd done come visit because she wanted to see her sisters. And so she'd done come and visit and uh, she'd done come visit and she asked her aunt if, if she ever went into care, could she come stay with us? Well, then a couple weeks later, the situation happens. It's already in the works kind of. And then, so they just brought her to our house. And so she'll be, we've gone through it with her and they terminated parental rights in the 28th of September, we're gonna adopt her. And so, which is pretty cool, you know, but the youngers are like, we've been here longer, how come we haven't got adopted? And so, you know, their parents did just enough. Like, if you abandon your kids for six months, it's child abandonment. Well, five months and 28 days, one of them would show up. So the six months starts over, then five, five months, 28 days, the other one. Not exactly, but that's kind of how it's gone. Yeah. They, they show up just in time to not get child abandonment. And so, so the the first two, the younger two, they have the same dad and mom. Yes. The older one has the same mom, different dad. Yes. Okay. And so, uh, you know, it's a lot, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Sure. You know what I mean? And then... Um, the youngest was going to get baptized. And uh, they asked her, well, why do you want to get baptized? And she said, well, because if I go back to my parents, I'll never have this opportunity again. Whew. You know? And she um, always invite kids to church. You know what I mean? And then uh, my daughter Hope, she has an older sister with kids that are older than her. So her nieces are older than her. <laughs> and so they come and visit and they go to church with us. And one of them got baptized. And then, uh, just to see the lives that we've touched, you know, and just from my life going to where the first time I was in going to prison and I got sentenced, the judge said, Mr. Billinger, do you know how many lives you've destroyed? And I thought about that. I mean, I was manufacturing meth and selling meth to people, you know. And to, to think about the damage that I did. And so for me, this is kind of like right and wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to be there for these kids and to hear some of the things that come out of their mouth. And to <clears throat> just hear the things come out of their mouth just floor you. Uh, our oldest one recently got a job and they asked her what the best day of her life was. And she said it was the day that she went into foster care. You know, uh, she's with us and we sent her on a church trip in Florida and she uh, got baptized in the ocean. You know what I mean? And to see her saved and the way her life has changed in these four years or three and a half years and to see those two, how much their lives have changed and how much they've grown. Um, you know, to see where my life was at to where it's at now. And it's just like, I couldn't got, I could not have got from where I was at to where I am now without God in my life. And cause I don't think I ever stopped, thought about stopping using drugs or stopping using alcohol. I mean, I might've stopped, thought about it for like, you know, 
until that evening rolled around or till the next need to get higher the next you know and so it's just like i can never get clean until i would go to prison and um and for god to put me there and get me away from everybody so that i could grow without no influence from the people i knew before yeah you know and then to develop that relationship with jesus to be in a prison cell and being at such peace and just feeling that closeness with God um, is just amazing. You know what I mean? I don't even know. It's just like you look back and you're like, how was, how did I get there? And then I'm like, well, how did I get here? Yeah. You know? And it's Both just ways. like, hey, when you're, when you're at your lowest low, it's just like, how did I get here? How did I get here? And then when you're at your highest high, how did I get here? How did I get here? And it's just like... Uh, I think that the answer is that living for yourself and living for Him. Right. Is the, the the basic, simple answer. And so, man, I'm just so grateful that my daughter got in church when I was away. And that I had a place to go to with her. Because I think some churches... I think if I would want some churches alone, it's like... I don't... I don't I don't uh, maybe fit in a lot of places and I always feel alone. And so it's just like if I don't, if I go somewhere and I don't feel like, like I could go to church and feel like I don't fit in. Sure. You know, and then I would leave. And then eventually I would go to church and feel like I'd go to enough of them where I didn't feel like I fit in that I I would just wouldn't go. And so for me to get that relationship and then from that relationship getting with Michelle and going to church and then always, uh, you know, that's one thing I can say throughout our whole marriage. We've been really faithful to God because God's been really faithful to us. He's brought us from the darkest dark and the lowest low to the highest high and the best life, you know? And so it's just like, um, I couldn't live the life I live today without Jesus being in my life, you know, and I might not be perfect and I might be, not be the perfect Christian. And, but I know that, uh, in Romans, this was one of my favorite ones too, but you done said everybody uses Romans. I think it's, <laughs> it's 828. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Yeah. Not heist nor depth or this or that and all these things. And it just, uh, nothing separates me from God, you know? And so it's just like, I know he's got me. And even when I screw up, he's got me. And it's just like, when God saved me, he already factored in my stupidity and he knew all the things that I was going to do. And it says, God died. Jesus died once for all sin. And so I believe he died for the sins that I haven't even committed yet. Sure. And I know none of us are perfect. And we're all striving for that. We're all striving to be the best people we can be and leave, live the best life we can live. But <clears throat> I think we're still all going to fall short. I mean, it says that we're all going to fall short of the glory of God. And it also says that a man's heart is naturally wicked. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, um, yeah, so I believe that right now, I, I believe that uh, God's put in my heart to do prison ministry, you know, and I believe that uh, there's an opportunity that's kind of presented itself. We haven't got connected, but there's a gentleman that does some prison ministry and he talks to prisoners about how to stay out of prison. And I really feel like that's something that I want to do. And, uh, 
So that's kind of in the works. It hasn't happened yet, but um, I believe it's going to happen. And uh, I think, I just feel like that's the path God's got me on because it's always in my heart. You know, I still talk to guys that are in prison. I still write letters. I still take phone calls. I still put money on their books. I still, uh, some of them you can email. And so it's just like, that's something that I'm connected to. And it's just like, I feel comfortable there. You know, um, I don't know. I've shared Narcotics Anonymous meetings there and I just go in, I feel comfortable. I don't feel, you know, oh my God, I'm in prison. What, you know, something bad, bad yeah. can happen or, you know what I mean? I just feel, and I, and I feel like when I'm there, maybe I feel anointed and I feel like I can go to prison and I can share and it just, and then you're like, wow, I don't even know how I came up with that. I mean, I know how I came up with that, yeah. but it's just like, it comes out so smooth and, and everything just feels like natural and like God spoken, God breathed, spirit breathed. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I can, I leave there and I feel like I did God's will, you know? And so life's been a little bit challenging with these girls and all this. And I feel like that's a lot of my ministry. I feel like those girls are, you know, very important, but I also feel like I also got to do something more, you know? And so, uh, I'm hoping that opportunity is going to work, get worked out this year. Um, we have a friend who's boyfriend. I'm not really sure where they're at. We haven't, we haven't talked to her. We used to go to church with a long time ago. She moved away. Now she's moved back. Um, I think it's her boyfriend does some prison ministry and we just haven't got connected yet. He's busy. I'm busy. He's got my information and he said he would call. So I'm just figuring when the time's right, he's going to call and it's going to work out. And so I just keep doing the next right thing every day and going to work and take care of these kids and take care of my family and uh, going to church being part of my church and I think that's another big thing is uh there's a difference in between going to church and being part of a church you know and it's just like I feel like I've gone to church and sometimes I try to stay out of being part of the church and we got to a church the church we go to now these people were my daughter's youth pastor at the other church and so they split off and uh started their own church and so when we got to that church it just automatically felt like we we're at home yeah and then it just feels like i want to be part of these people because i've known these people for 20 years you know and so we do a lot of things with our church our church you know has birthday parties and everybody gets together for church it's like a family it's not just like we see these people for an hour on sundays and then we don't see them again right. until next week we talk on the phone we ride motorcycles together we do things together. We've gone on vacation with people from our church. And it's just like, it's family. It's not just, oh, these these people we just go to church with and we don't really know anything about them. It's just like you get to where um, your family, you know. And now we, uh, we've we hosted a small group the last two times. So we do one in spring and one in fall. So we did one last fall, last spring, and now we're coming up on fall again. And so, uh, it's getting ready to start in September and, uh, we, we invite people that maybe don't go to church 
some people go to church and some people don't. Some people go to different churches. And so it's really about building community and building relationships with people. Yeah. And so, uh, um, yeah, try to get people saved through. I mean, not everybody has a, a, a Apostle Paul conversion story. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's like you got to build relationships and then people see your life. And then they want that that in their life. And they're like, well, why is your life so different? Well, I got Jesus. Jesus did this. Jesus did this. Jesus brought me from here got me to here. You know? And so, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff I left out. But that's that's the big stuff. I mean, I, mean, I could go on about the insanity. And, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, and I could go about, on about prison. I could go on about that. But the biggest thing is, is Jesus took this sinner... And saved him and brought these kids in his life and these people in his life and made his life awesome. You know, and that's where I'm at. I think God just incredibly blessed me and he's got more for me. And uh, I'm just going to keep doing his will, you know. And, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't read my Bible every day. I try to. You know, I don't, I think I pray every day, but it, I'm sure I miss some days. You know, and there's days I'm not as grateful as I should be, but I'm a work in progress and I think God's got me and I, it's just like things happen all the time and I just see, well, that was God. Yeah. That was God right there. That was a God moment. God showed up. God put this people person in my life or this happened for that reason. And, and sometimes you don't see it till later down the road, but it's just like, there's so many God moments in my life that it just like, it's like mind blowing. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, for sure. It's like, so God's good, man. God's good. God's got me. He's He's blessed me. Yeah. And and you said something earlier about, um, you know, fighting in a truck with somebody that had a gun and outrunning the cops, you know, high speeds and falling off the building, all these things. I shared, and I think I've said this on a different podcast, different episode. Uh, I shared my testimony at a men's group one time and kept saying that, I felt like I was invincible. And uh, someone at the Bible study said, you were at that time because God uses those moments right. for you to sit down and talk to the next person Absolutely. who's had those moments but doesn't see yet that God had them at that time and was walking with them and was protecting them. And, and so there's a reason you've gone through all those things. Oh, there's yeah. a reason Absolutely. every one of us has, you know, some of them, some of our lows are lower than others. Some of our... Um, struggles are more than others but they're all going to be put to use at, yeah. at some point yeah to show the grace of god yes and so it's just like uh i always think for everybody there everybody that's saved there's one person out there that you're the only one that they could hear the gospel for that they'll get right and it's just like so i think sometimes it's my my duty to find that person and I'm not saying I'm not going to touch other people on the way I'm not going to say you know that that's the only person I'm ever going to lead to Christ or water or plan or whatever my part in that relationship is but there's one person out there that I think we're the only one that can touch nobody nobody else can deliver the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to that person the way you can to them 
they might hear it from 10 other people and they won't get it, but they'll hear it from you and they're going to get it. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, um, I just remember something about, uh, being in Narcotics Anonymous and, um, there's such a, I don't know what it is, a division in between like a higher power using a higher power and saying it's Jesus or whatever else you want to call. And, uh, when that, when those books were wrote on biblical principles, you know what I mean? And you can beat somebody down with Jesus in the Bible and just beat them down. And they're like, well, I'm never doing that. But then you can hit them with this and it can lead them to that. Yeah. Cause I've seen a lot of people in narcotics anonymous take that book and those principles and lead them to Jesus. And you know, I've been in meetings in churches where they have boards up. It's like, you don't need this. You need Jesus. And people writing things in our, in the recovery room. And it's just like, I get it. But there was a point I had Jesus, but I still got high. You know what I mean? And there was a point I had Jesus. And so recovery is really important. And Jesus is really important, but it's just like, sometimes you can't, graft a new idea on a closed mind. And so sometimes you have to soften it up. You know what I mean? You build that relationship and, uh, you talk about, you talk about spiritual principles, you talk about something else and eventually people will come around and then you get the opportunity to talk about Jesus. So I think, uh, there's a lot of avenues and, uh, and I think a lot of people aren't ready for the Bible. Yeah. Doesn't mean they can't be saved. It doesn't mean you can't get them there. It just means it's going to take work. For and sure. So I don't, I think, you know, I think whether it's motorcycles, whether it's a club, whether it's Narcotics Anonymous, whether it's baseball, whether it's wrestling, Jesus is in all that. And you can, you got to figure out a way to get Jesus out. Just like this prison ministry thing. That's an opportunity to go talk to dudes about Jesus. Here, this is how I stayed out of prison. I went to church. I got in a church that, you know, um, it's family. It's not just some people I see on Saturdays, you know. There's ways to get all that in there, you know. And I think if you can open up one mind and think, well, man, I used to go to church. Maybe I should try that again, you know, and get, get you know. And so there's all kinds of ways to get people back to Jesus and to Jesus. And I just think you got to find them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. A thousand percent. Not everyone's going to come. I mean, it's in everything you do. If you're a leader at yeah. work or at, yeah. at school or whatever else, you can't treat everybody the exact same and expect the same outcome. Right. Some people, you need to teach them a lesson. You need to smack them in the mouth. They're going to learn their message. Others, others right. you got to take them by the hand and lead them to right. it. You know? it's, yeah. And, yeah. you know, some of us, Jesus had a put us through some stuff right. and, and through hardships and, and, and then eventually hit us in the mouth and say, this is what I'm trying right. to get at. Yeah. Others, he's also, just there the whole time and also they get it. He tries to gently lead you and you don't get it. You get this nudge and you're like, eh, I'm good. Right. Get another nudge. Eh, I'm good. Get another nudge. I'm good. Then all of a sudden, bam, yeah. you ain't getting it here. We're going to put you over here in prison and you're going to get it. Right. You know what I mean? And I think some of us are hard headed. 
It's kind of how I was raised. Yeah. I was told not to do stuff all the time. But my parents, anyways. Yeah, yeah, you get a whoop and you're like, oh, I guess I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And sometimes, like you said, some of us are a little harder headed than others. And, right. But that's the reason we're here. That's the reason this podcast is here. That's the reason uh, the soldiers for Jesus do what they do. Yeah. That's the reason that you do prison ministry or, or feel led that way. And yeah, there's a reason for all that. And it's just like, even just with them girls, I mean, that is just mind-blowing to see them and their growth and their walk. It's just crazy. It's like that that would have never happened if they weren't here. And your your youngest, how old is she? Eight. Eight. And she's the one that said, if I ever go back to my parents, I won't have this chance again. Yep. That, I think that was the first time I ever thought, man, I might have to pause this so I can cry, not the yeah. guest. <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah, that kid, she is so on fire for God. And like, she goes to kids church and then she comes out and she tells me, like the other kids are just kind of like, eh, we were there, we heard this. And she's like, Jesus this, Jesus that. Uh. And so it's cool to see her, you know, inviting kids and and uh, like she does something and she's just, she's just like praying. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to do that. God, please forgive me. You know. That's so and good. So it's just cool to see that, you know, and just, um, yeah. And, and. 20 years ago, when you were going through trial and tribulation, if someone would have said, you're going to be raising these these little girls, saving their lives, and leading them to Christ. I would have yeah. said, no way. Yeah. Be like, I don't know, where, I don't know you got the wrong guy. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, wouldn't trade it for the world. For sure. It's pretty awesome. You got a powerful story, man. And I just... Man, it just blows me away. Like, like I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue about nothing when I was 18. And I never could imagine. I could, at 18, I could never imagine how bad it got. But at the same time, I could never imagine how good it got. And some days I'm just like, how did I get this house and this truck and this bike? And I, I know they're possessions, but... And they don't, the biggest thing I got is my wife and my kids and my relationship with Jesus. Those are the most important things. But at the same time, I didn't have nothing. And then to have what I got now, it's just like, God's blessed me. Yeah. And I got a story about, I'll, I'm going to share this too. Okay, so uh, when I got out of prison, I didn't have nothing. And I started working and my first paycheck, I I. I don't, I'm not going to say I tithe, but I put money, you know, and it's just like, so I put $20 in and the next week somebody gave me a microwave. I put $20 in and somebody gave me a table and chairs and I put $20 in and somebody gave me a bed and a dresser. And it was just like, and then it got like, I would just keep giving and I would just keep getting stuff. And I would keep giving, and I would keep getting stuff. And there was just like, or I'd give and then I'd get a raise or i and I'd give some more and I'd get another raise or I'd get a promotion or I'd get, and it was just like, um, like you can't outgive God. Right. And, and my wife is really generous with what we give God. But then I look around, I'm just like, 
this doesn't this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This is all God because if it was me, I'd be living in some shack, you know, living this way or that way. And here I am. I got a nice house and all these kids and just blessed and and uh, just blessed, just so absolutely blessed. It's, it's mind blowing. And it's just like I feel like that all started by giving and being grateful. You know what I mean? And yeah. so giving and being grateful. Give and be grateful. Give and be grateful. And then God opens up the windows of heaven and pours it out on you. And so I know a lot of people have a problem with, oh, churches just want your money. You know, and then I see our church. We have a little, fairly little church. I mean, maybe 50, 50 people on a, on a good Sunday. I'd say it goes from 40 to 60. Anyways, we have this little church and everybody gives and then we support uh like a boy's home like we buy him christmas presents and we had christmas in july and then we we just do things and give and do this and my wife's the head of a ministry and so like uh we got with uh maybe harvesters there's another name for it. dc dc i don't know it's a ministry and they get stuff from harvesters and then they we bagged it all up and boxed it all up and all these cars come through and we hand put boxes okay. of stuff in yeah, the car. Yeah, our bar. church does that with harvesters. And so uh and we do things like that and then just our church is just so giving and helping other people and just things and you're just like that's what it's about. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks I see people on Facebook saying, you know, talking about Joel Olstein and how churches are a scam and how like they think every preacher's like Joel Osteen and and Joel Osteen does amazing things and I'm sure he gives more stuff away than anybody knows yes he lives in this crazy house and has this humongous church and all that I'm not saying right or wrong but I guarantee he gives more than we give yeah you know and a lot of people think he's a scam and whatever but they think every church in every city is a scam and scamming people and taking their money and it's just like I've been some some really small churches that do some really big things, you know, and that's all God, you know. The, the preachers aren't living in million dollar houses, and you know what I mean. And it's just like they're giving and they're doing this out of their heart and kindness. And I believe that's what Jesus wants. He didn't. I mean, I'm not gonna say anything's wrong with Joel living in that house because that's not my business to judge him. But when I see a pastor that's still working and a pastor still doing and giving and taking care of people and helping people and doing these things, you're like, that's what it's about. Yeah. You know? And so I, that's another thing I like about my churches. There's a lot of outreach and a lot of giving and doing and helping and blessing and, you know, and so I think that's good. I think that's, it just shows you God's math is different than our math. For sure. You know what I mean? And and there's there's scripture for that. There's yeah. um I'm not sure where it's at, and I'll probably butcher this this story about Jesus being in the chapel when uh and he's watching people come in and put money in the yeah. offerings and people are coming in and giving a lot of money and then a, a woman in rags comes in and gives like two pieces, you know. Yeah. And he calls out to the disciples, Hey, did you see that? Um uh, Right. And he says, you know, she gave more than anyone. They're they're gone. Well, she only gave like two cents That's or two bits or whatever. And said, 
but that's she gave everything. Yeah. You know, and that's that says a lot about what Jesus it's not about the actual dollar amount. It's about right. what What's you give and right. Right. And it's about trust. I mean it's about trust. Do you trust Jesus to do with more with your money than you could do with it? Yeah. You know, and I and I'm I'm not even gonna lie, sometimes I think, man, I could take that money and I could be on a new bike. Yeah. You know what it's I mean? It's easy to think or that way. Or I could way. take that money, I could be in a new truck, or I could, you know, I could do this, or I could do this. And then it's just like, but God, you know, he's already gave me a truck. He's already gave me a bike. He's already gave me a house. He's already gave me a wife. He's gave me kids. What can I ask for? What do I need? Do I need anything? I don't, I don't really, I might have some wants, yeah. but I don't need anything. I'm fed every day. You know what I mean? I got a clothes on my back, a roof over my head. And it's just like, uh, grateful. Being grateful is a big thing, a grateful big part. And, blessed. It's, and coming from someone who got out of prison and, and lived in an empty home, uh, I I had I don't think there was any gas on, and I got out in late September, and I think eventually I blocked one room off and I had a space heater yeah. in that room. You know what I mean? And I we're mean, grateful. Grateful. And was grateful you gave money. You went to church grateful. and gave money at that time that I wasn't in prison anymore. I mean, grateful that I wasn't addicted to drugs anymore. Grateful that my life wasn't a total mess anymore. I didn't have a whole lot, but I was grateful. And uh, and it was just like amazing just how things just grew and grew and grew. And I got heat and I got water and I got everything. And it was missing something when I got there. I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure it was gas. Yeah. You know, and so it was just like... Uh, grateful that's what it's about that's what it's about being grateful and knowing that Jesus Jesus did it Jesus said it's finished he did it all he's gonna provide you just gotta let him he's gonna provide and uh, it might not be the way we see it and he answers prayers it might not be the way we thought he was gonna answer them and uh, yeah he's been really good to me he's been really good to me and uh you know, I think even coming to do this, I think the devil works on me and and says, well, you're not good enough to do that. Your, your story isn't, it's not Christian enough. You don't talk about God enough. You don't have enough scriptures memorized. You don't have this, you don't have that. And I talked to my pastor a couple weeks back and I was telling him about this and uh, he's just like, just go do it. You know what I mean? And it's just like, you've got a message that somebody needs to hear. It's like we're um, saved by the word of our testimony and blood of the Lamb. Yeah. Right? Yep. So if I don't give them my testimony, I'm not glorifying God. And so I hope this is glorifying God, you know, and I hope somebody hears it that needs to hear it, you know. And uh, Someone will. It's going to get out to the right yeah. person. And and, uh, and I think it's all about hope. That's the other thing. It's about hope. If I can give somebody else hope, like they're they think they want to use or they think they want to do this or they think they do want to do this and go back to prison and, and I, they hear this message at the right time and it gives them enough hope to, I'm going to stay clean today. I'm going to go to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to uh, cry out to God just ask Him to save me. Because, I mean, that, that was on that motorcycle ride, running from the cops. At that point, I, I thought I was dead. I mean, I thought I was going to die. And I was just like, God, save me. I don't want to die. 
and it got worse, but it got better. Yeah. I mean, it really got better. It really didn't get any worse. I mean, going to prison and being clean was probably better than I was living on the streets because I wasn't doing it. At least I wasn't committing crimes and getting people high and getting high and selling drugs, you know. And so it was a step up from what I was living, you know. And so, I mean, prison was a blessing. And uh, my mom used to say, well, at least, at least when you're in prison, I know you're safe. Wow. You know what I mean? My mom's like, well, at That's... least I know you're safe in there. I'm just like, <laughs> it didn't make Man. sense, but it does make sense. Yeah. You know? There's a, there's a lot of free people in prison. Man, there is a lot of free people in prison. It's, and you meet so many good people. There's a lot of good people in prison that did drugs and made bad decisions and that are really good people and but are really happy happy joyous and free yeah you know and you're just like wow people out here ain't like that people right. out here expect have an expectation that the world owes them something because they're not grateful they're they not grateful you know they're not thankful they're and not yeah it's pretty crazy I met some really good people in prison I've met some really spiritual people that were so on fire for God you know and it's just like someone may never get out and so you're really serving the Lord for to serve the Lord yeah you're, there's not a ulterior motive they're not like well maybe if I serve God he'll get me out of prison and it's like they're serving God because that's what they believe they need to be doing they're serving God because he's God. Yeah. You know, and it's not like, well, maybe this or maybe that or, you know, and so it's just, uh, man. Yeah, they've got no chance at the nice truck, the nice house, the right. nice Harley, you know, the things you and I have, they have no chance at it. Right. And they serve and, you know, you like say. Next, like next level serving. Yeah. And worshiping and loving and. Yeah. And. Like you said, we had this discussion before we start recording about cussing, you right. know. I don't think I've cussed. You haven't, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've thought about that when I first started recording. I know I had that conversation with Jen. Like, am I going to, I hope I don't cuss. I don't look because it's still a, a big thing for me. But I don't know where I was going with that now. That just the fact that they're in prison yeah. and serving and, and living a way that I wish I could out here. Right. Or I can. I wish I, I would. Yes, yeah. You know, I have every I have every opportunity to do it, but I'm still And there there there's really no distractions. Yeah. I mean out here you gotta have a job, you got wife, you got kids, you got a house, you gotta work on the house, you gotta work on the cars, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do da 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 and it's just like there sleep for eight hours, you might have a little job for four to six hours and then you got the rest of the time, do whatever you wanna do. And you can spend that time in the Bible. You can spend it playing dominoes or whatever, you know. But there you have you have a lot more time to focus on what you want to focus with. You're either going to get out being a better person or you're going to get out being a worse person. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's just like if you get there and you focus on the right things and doing the right things, it is rehabilitative. But if you get in there and you're with the guys hustling and selling dope and sneaking stuff in and doing all that, and getting your hookups for when you get out, you know, you're coming back. Sure. And so I think, um, you know, and I think there's just so many distractions out here. 
and I, it's like I barely watch TV. It's not like TV is a distraction, but uh, a lot of people watch a lot of TV. A lot of people, you know, watch every football game. A lot of people watch every, you know. I, I love baseball. I don't think I've watched one game this year. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, like, do I love it? Like, I used to love it. Like, I used I used to get, like, Baseball Network, and I used to watch it. Yeah. You know, but that's just kids in life and more kids and that was back before I had kids this yeah. time around, you know and um, yeah and so uh, something else really cool is like I really feel like I've repaired the relationship with my two older kids that's a blessing you know they both come over for dinner on Tuesday you know and so that's just awesome we all went on vacation I think it's the first time I took my kids on vacation my older kids you know and they're one's 30 and one's 27 I don't believe we've ever been on vacation. You know, one, either I was high or in prison or didn't have the money or we didn't do vacations or whatever, you know, to, and to get to that point in life where you could take your kids and go do stuff with them. Do they have any kids of their own? Nope. No? Neither one was married or got kids or nothing, so. So not grandpa yet? Not a grandpa yet. And so, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a blessing. You know, I think uh, there was a point I didn't even know if they'd ever talk to me again. You know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, I call them and text them and talk to them, you know, a couple days a week probably. That's so good. And so it's so good. It's just, and that's just God softening their hearts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I believe that they probably have every reason in the world to probably not talk to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I think just God, you know, and it's just like I see God in their life even when I don't think they see God in their life. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. And my wife's awesome. I don't know if I told you how awesome she is. Yeah. <laughs> she's super awesome. She just, she's a good woman and she takes care of these babies and she can't never say no. Like last night we had, uh, my brother went out of town for work and his wife works evenings so we've been watching my niece and then last night we had her nephew just for a little while but it's just like if anybody ever has kids and they call and be like hey can you take my kid or you know we always got we got our four and then we usually have extras yeah (laughs) it seems like it it seems like it and we've you know but it's good I think I think uh I think my wife wants to be that that mom. Sure. You know what I mean? I think everybody had a, a, a second mom growing up, you know, and I think she wants to be all these kids' second mom to where they feel comfortable with her and she's the cool aunt and all that business. So My sister Jamie is that way too. Yeah. My kids, my sister Chrissy's kids when they were little to family on the others, like just so many of them, she's that same way. There's, They have... Three kids of their own still living at home, my sister and brother-in-law. But you go, there's, it's not uncommon to walk in there and be six kids hanging out. And you're like, where are the, who are these kids? Who, where are they coming like, from? Like almost everywhere we go, we've got to take two vehicles. And she's yeah. got a van that'll hold, it'll technically hold eight if we put the middle seat in, but we don't ever put the, so she's usually got seven in hers and I got one or two in mine or I got the dogs <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like last night we went to the football game. And we had six, and we brought two of our oldest 
kids or friends, so we had I had three in mine and she had five in hers. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just like we always got kids, but it's good, man. I'm just glad. I'm glad they're hanging out at our house where I know it's safe and not hanging out somewhere else like I was doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hanging out at somebody's house she probably shouldn't have been with, getting high with her parents and man, you know, yeah. And so all that business. So I'm glad they're hanging out with us and yeah, it's good. Well, very cool, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm just I'm happy you made the trip down. I'm so yeah. so glad we've talked about this and yeah. You I you sent me your um, your testimony. You did. Were you were you at an NA meeting or no, you're I, in your church? I was or? at church and he was just asking people to give their testimony and everybody was talking and I was just sitting there and I was just like just overwhelmed and I just got up and I just spilled it felt good it felt yeah. good you know but it was also intense you know cause uh I always feel judged yeah you know what I mean so if I'm in church with this person now all of a sudden they know I've been to prison or they're like ooh well ooh, if, if are they I felt get, the same I've you know felt I mean? the same way um but then I just think to myself, if their heart's in the right spot, all they're doing is seeing how God has changed their right. life. You know? And that's, they're, they're not passing judgment. They're just saying, wow, God has done huge things in this person's life. And that person is so blessed to. And I think, man, recently, there was something that happened and somebody was passing judgment on somebody for some, I don't even remember the whole thing. But I was just like, how are these people even in church? Yeah. You know? A lot of people go to church. A lot of people go to church and are the righteous ones. Right. You know what I mean? God didn't come for the righteous one. He came to save the lost. The church and religion has pushed a lot of people away from Jesus yeah, Christ. I believe that. It's, it's hurt more people than you can count. And what it takes is is your story and churches like yours, churches like mine, um, groups like Soldiers for Jesus and the the Bible study they put on and stuff. It's just, it takes that sort of thing for people to come in and say, yeah, true Christianity is judgment-free. Right. It's the way it's supposed to be anyway. That's, that says a lot. Yeah. But people, a lot of people have been hurt by it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you taking the time yeah. coming down here. You're welcome back anytime and, and, and bring your wife and we need to set up a time to come down and, and let her yeah. tell her story too. Yeah. And I'll talk to her. I'm sure she would. It. Yeah. The thing is getting time. Right. Right. <laughs> With four kids. We we don't have time. We have one kid. Right. You have four. <laughs> and uh and their fifteen year old started working, so it's just like a couple of days a week we take her to work. You know, and it's not that, that it's that big a deal, but it's not like you can drop her off to work and go come do this and then go back and get her because she's 15 and she can only work like during the week. She can only work till 730. Okay. Or seven, seven or seven. So she can only work like three or four hours, three hours. And you said she's at Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Serving the Lord's chicken. Yeah. So she Perfect. doesn't work Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Serving the Lord's chicken. Travis Kelsey came into there. Really? To their Chick-fil-A. That's cool. Yeah. And they, she got a picture. Somebody else took the picture. She didn't get the picture, but it was at their yeah. Chick-fil-A, so it was pretty cool. She's pretty stoked about that. Yeah, she's an awesome kid. 
she's an awesome kid and and we communicate very well good and so I'm just glad for that that she's at her age and not being like she spends a lot of time in a room but she also we spend a lot of time hanging out and talking and her and Michelle do too and so it's pretty awesome to see the bond that me and her have and her and Michelle have and so that's a blessing well if she knows your guys' stories and what you've been through and stuff, she knows yeah. that when you're saying no, you don't need to go there, be around those people what? you're yeah. speaking from. Yeah. And she's heard my she's heard my testimony. She heard yeah. it at church that day. So, so Yeah. We're right on man. It's good to be here. I'm glad I came out. It's always good to talk about guys. Yeah, it's good to see you. You're you're now because of work and everything, I don't see you often. Yeah. So it's good to have you down and I appreciate it. Yeah. Right. All right, everybody. If you didn't notice, Jen was not here for this one. Um, so you'll have to get online, send her a message, tell her you missed her. And if you want to find us, you can find us on Instagram at the almost home dot podcast. You can find us on Facebook at almost home dot or almost home podcast, uh, Spotify and Google and Amazon and all the places. So Thanks y'all for listening. We love you and we will see you next week. Hey everybody, Jared here. I just want to thank you all so much for listening to the show and constantly liking and sharing and doing all the things that that helps get the show out there. We are going to call it quits, though, for now. Uh, we're going to consider this season one. We're going to take a month off, and then we're going to come back And first part of November. We've got big plans. Hopefully we can make it happen. That's why we're taking this time off, um, so that we can make these things happen and hopefully come back bigger and better. We'll be back either way, but hopefully what we have planned um, comes into fruition so pray for us pray that that the things that we want to do will be um, we'll be able to make those things happen so in the meantime keep going to church keep reading your bible you can listen to these stories all over again or reach out to anyone or I guess if you want and talk to them um, also prepare your testimonies because there, there, there could be someone you come across that just needs to hear how Christ can save lives, the grace and the redemption that, that Jesus Christ has for every one of us. So get your, um, get your testimony ready. You should have a two to three minute testimony ready just on a whim anytime you need it. And keep looking for people that need, uh, that need God, that need Jesus. Keep making disciples just like he says. We love you all. Thank you all. And we will see you in about a month. Bye.